Welcome to another episode of I Know I'm Crazy with Naja Hall. This is your host, Naja Hall. You guys expressed such an appreciation for the last time I had my husband Tony on. I figured I would bring him on again. Today we're going to do things a little bit different though. Instead of me doing all the yapping, I have proposed a set of questions for him. You guys know that I am a coach in real life. I'm a life coach. And the reason I started doing this job is because of the conflict that my blended family was experiencing. One of the reasons I'm able to give such great advice to my male, my father clients is because my husband has experienced a lot of these things himself. I've witnessed firsthand how he has come on, come out on top of a lot of the situations that affect my clients in pretty much the exact same way. So today I'm going to hand the mic over to Tony. Of course, I'll still be here. I'm not going too far away, but I'm going to give him a chance to go and speak to anybody out there that is co-parenting with someone that is high conflict or you have experienced high conflict nature. Also, if you're a person that's simply raising children in a different home than their other parent, this is for you. Also, if you are a person that is loving someone that is experiencing those other things that I just mentioned, this is for you. Basically, this is for everybody. So after this dance break, Go get your pen and paper and your partner, and let's sit on down and have some lessons from my husband, Tony. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm doing crazy. I know I'm crazy. So let's get into it. Tony's sitting here right beside me today, and one of the first things I just want to jump right into is parenting and the experience of being a human being, a man, a father, if you will, that is still trying to parent a particular set of children that you no longer live with and who are also impacted by someone that kind of doesn't make it easy for you. You know, they kind of make your experience a little bit more difficult. Um, Tony, can you speak to that and just give some advice on the best ways to navigate or go around so that you can still be the most effective father that you can. Okay, well, thank you, Naja. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience again. For me, my experience of being a father who is a non-custodial parent, it took a different stages for me. I guess in the beginning, it was important for me, looking back on it, hindsight being 2020, uh, what I should have done. I should have taken more time to myself in order to type of, uh, in order to, be intentional about how it's going to be a parent. I think in the beginning, there are so many responsibilities that we feel to to not allow the kids to uh, to be impacted by the, the change. You know, you don't want there to be a gap in any of our roles as a parent. So, you know, we jump immediately into trying to make things take on a sense of normalcy. And I think in doing that, me, I, uh, I was not giving enough attention to the drastic nature of the change that had taken place. So I think that a, a good approach to it would be for you to kind of step back and reevaluate, you know, because in the situation where you became a parent, more than likely, if guys are in the same situation as me, you were probably married or you were probably in a relationship with the other parent. So now as a single parent or as a father who's no longer married, um, you have a responsibility to 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 kind of create a new uh, separate household and it should be 
intentional images of that household given to the kids in order to set the expectation for them about what they can expect from you, um, what your relationship is going to be between them and their other parent, um, and just kind of define, I guess, the the expectations of your separate household. You know, they have an understanding and an idea about how things flow in a marital home as a family unit. But I think that it's important that you give those kids examples or intentional images of how things will be with you. And, you know, they can start whether or not you've recoupled or if you're still single. I think that it's important that you kind of let that be the, the foundation from where you start. So you mentioned it doesn't really matter if you're single to recouple, but that does really make a difference in the dynamic that your children see. Because I feel like whether you're a divorced father or you... There are some people in here that are listening that were never in relationships with their, uh, with the other parent of their children. They simply, you know, had like a bang, bang, boogie type of situation. And, and, but you know, and here comes a kid that these two strangers essentially have to raise together. One thing that I think happens is when we break up with a person, we stop knowing them. In essence, we don't have daily access to them anymore. They go through their own metamorphosis. We change. And essentially, they kind of are a different person. And we start to interact with the version of them that we used to know. And then when you see them get in a new relationship or you're not with them and you don't have daily influence or an impact or you're just not in the know of their daily life, you still approach them from a familiar tone. How do you navigate the basically going back to being strangers with somebody that you used to know and now you're a completely different person and they still speak to you as if you are that same old 19, 20 year old. How do you navigate that as an almost 40 year old man today? So um, a couple of different, I guess, scenarios. You know, in a situation where you talked about uh, where a bang, bang boogie took place and, you know, an offspring happened. Um, I can't really speak to that. But what I would say is, you know, from a perspective of a divorce, I would say that if you think about the, I guess, the progression of a divorce. All right. So there's a marriage and then it gets sour, it gets bad. And then all of a sudden you decide, you know what, let's just not do this. Let's get a divorce. So I think that evolution of the relationship should in an ideal situation, um, those steps should also translate to the role of a parent. Um, so during, and what I mean by that, during that transition from a happy marriage to an unhappy marriage to a divorce, I think that it's natural for the two adults to begin to kind of um, establish different roles as it relates to the upbringing and the influence of the kids. So. After the divorce is over, I think that it's important for um, for the for the individuals to have a conversation, I guess, or to establish their um, what am I trying to say? I think that a lot of the issues happen. Let me just make it kind of more personal, I suppose. A lot of the issues happen when the other individual projects their expectations onto you. So I think in order to not do that, we have to consciously tell the other individual, you know, kind of how we intend to run our house, maybe how we want to um, influence the kids. And if, if there's cooperation from the other end, then I don't think there'll be any overlaps of conflicting information or um, opposing views about, you know, the upbringing of the child. I think we get into a lot of issues with that whenever, like you mentioned earlier in, in, in your question, how 
I guess whenever there's a, 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 a separation of a relationship, how people just tend to go on as if nothing ever happened. And that's not reality. You know, in reality of um, there are going to be different interests now. And one of the things that can't or that shouldn't be influenced by that is the best interest of the kid. And I think many times in relationships, uh, because of sour feelings or whatever the case may be, you know, some of the times the kid's best interest may take the back seat over some of our personal interests. So then talking, I, hmm, our, what you said is all fine and dandy, but I wouldn't have the job that I have. Our situation wouldn't be what it would was if it was just a matter of, okay, you know what? We're going to keep the kids in the middle. We're going to make this about them. We're going to communicate based on them. We're going to keep everything in the kids' best interest. And if we feel conflicted or if we disagree, we will talk more than likely if things were that cohesive with a person, you're not going to need to be away from them by means of a freaking divorce or, you know, causing children uh, to, to have to go to back and forth between two different households. So what you're saying is ideal, but that ain't your situation. That's certainly not my, my client situation. And I guess I'm speaking in terms of when there's a person that has this very familiar tone with you because they feel like they know you in essence it's like you don't know me anymore when we were we haven't we've been divorced for 10 15 years i you seem like you're the same person because you have the same antics but i certainly have changed but they're speaking to you they're treating you and they're trying to co-parent with you based on who you used to be i, I guess in order i could be more clear with the question is is it your responsibility to show that co-parent who you are now or do you yeah that, that's i'm just gonna leave the question at that um yeah so i guess you want to get down to the nitty-gritty now so yes to answer that question yeah, absolutely so the problem with that is you know there comes tons and tons of layers of of, of feelings out of emotions that many times um as a separated or divorced person you no longer feel the responsibility to to address you know so after a divorce is final it, it, it's, it's final and sometimes what's left in the in, in the carnage you know some of the things that are lost in the fire are, are the unresolved feelings i don't think people have exit counseling for divorces so you know you just figure out that you can't be together anymore so you you know you break up and because not all of those feelings are resolved then the, I guess the next best thing for that, or I guess the natural thing, if things flow downhill, then they're going to flow into the relationship with the kids. So that's where we get into all this blended family stuff, um, which ultimately, if we look at the core of it, there are the result of unresolved relational issues. So you got to think about it. A lot of times guys in, in our position, you know, we do move on, you know, and, and begin to look at other ways to rebuild our lives. And part of that is meeting a new woman. And when you're trying to cultivate a new relationship and do those things that build that relationship, probably one of the least important things for you is to worry about some of the feelings of your ex and how those feelings may impact your relationship with your kids. Now, is it a responsible thing to do? Is it a wise thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. But in reality, you know, I don't think many guys will, will take the time and energy that's necessary to see, hey, man, if I do this different, maybe the mom will change and maybe this will, you know, that's just not something that the average guy will think about. I guess this is why you, you know, you're so important because you do help many of us to navigate that part of the relationship. Okay. 
Okay, I think that I liked it a little bit better. So you said the trickle-down effect seems like, yeah, I, we had a bad relationship, so bad, so not cohesive to the point that, to where we couldn't be around each other. And the people that I speak to personally can't be around each other so much in the fact that if there's contempt, a lot of people are using co-parenting apps. You guys know about my family wizard and what's the other one, um, talking parents, you know, like there, there, there's people that are only able to communicate via email. Like, you know, it, it goes to the point to where there's true disrespect that happens. And you made a point, you said it kind of drills down into the interactions with the kids. One thing that I've noticed is that and I always say this, you guys have heard me say this before. Children seem to sympathize with the weaker parent or the parent that they think needs them the most. And if we're speaking of high conflict parent, that high conflict parent is going to be really good at manipulating the children and making them think that dad is a bad person or mom abandoned them. You know, if you are the targeted parent, which my husband is the targeted parent, then every single thing you do is going to be criticized, minimized, broken down, destroyed, taken apart, and systemically dismantled. And I, like, do you know the reason why? I know we always talk about the psychology. He and I sit alone sometimes and just talk about the whole psychological breakdown, the apparent, it, like the inherent brokenness in a parent that does that, or that pre-existing childhood trauma that a person would have had to experience in order to straight up steal their child's relationship away from their other parent. So do you have advice to fathers specifically? Cause that's who mostly listens. You know, I know there's high conflict fathers out there, but today we're talking about the high conflict moms. Um, Tony, do you have advice for the men that are still trying to parent, co-parent, not co-parent, parent children with these high conflict women. What's, what's, what would you, what's your keenest piece of advice? Um, so again, my advice, it comes from my perspective, right? So I think that at a time when, let's just take it back to the beginning. So let's just say, let's go back to the day you found out that, your significant other or the person of interest is pregnant, right? And you're going to become a father. So from that point, you know, you start to envision um, things that you want to teach your kids, things that you don't want to teach them, you know, all these plans that you have for um, your role as a father in their lives. So whenever a, a divorce or a separation happens, then I don't think we give enough thought to the, to the gravity of the effect of, of that. And then, you know, so many times we fail to, I guess, rethink our plan. And we attempt to move forward with that plan that we already had without acknowledging what took place, you know? So when we put together the plan in the beginning, it's never a, a consideration that you may have somebody who's going to oppose every effort. You never consider that you may have somebody who's going to try to disassemble everything that you put together. So when... Once, you know, that situation happens and there is a divorce, then you need to sit back at it and maybe try to evaluate, I guess, the impact that you realistically are able to have, you know, because I think that when. I guess part of the issue, whenever these divorces, breakup situations happen, uh, and I said this a minute ago, not to be redundant, but I guess logically, which a lot of men tend to think logically, 
you would say that, okay, once the ink is dry, the judge is banging together, the divorce has happened. Okay, now this is what the relationship means. You know, now I'm not going to say that we're not able or not capable of carrying over feelings, but many times we move to the next phase in that relationship, which is now our interactions between myself and their mother should only be about the kids. That's what we should happen. So we approach the situation from that perspective. So when doing that, um, and not being, you know, afforded, you know, reasonable levels of cooperation, you know, a lot of guys tend to, you know, fall back maybe, or, or just, I guess, take a, 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 a an appearance of disinterest. So I think that in order to offset that, we should have a structured approach to our role as, as father. You know, I, I say that, you know, many times when, especially even me in the beginning, when it was my weekend, you know, we we're going to do Dave and Busters. Uh, we're going to watch a movie. You know, there's, there's like a lot of traditional things that fathers tend to do during their custody hours. And the reason why is because you feel that with the day-to-day things, you know, that go on and raising the kid, you kind of miss out on some of that. So you make up for it through having fun time. But I think that in doing that, it takes away some of our ability to actually influence those day-to-day things on a weekend. You know, you can raise and, and to offer a full experience without having the traditional amount of time. You know, that doesn't mean that the experience or your influence isn't one that's still valuable and impactful. So I think that, uh, you know, just taking an approach where we really try to be intentional about all our interactions with the kids is something that will be wise for a man to do. What you're saying, you kind of mentioned feeling like you need to squeeze in all the stuff because you're not there for those day-to-day activities. And I think our first summer that the kids were allowed to actually, you know, that you were actually allowed I don't you know allowed sounds kind of permissive but that's what it is allowed to exercise your summertime visitation that was kind of the first time that we just got to sit around the house and saunder and do nothing we you know we would have movie night we would wake up and just chill we would go eat we would take walks like there were so many days filled with nothingness and they weren't the days where we were ripping and running around Manhattan going to see the Statue of Liberty we were out shopping or, you know, we had some structured planned activity. There is a lot to be said and a lot to be felt during those moments when you are just simply existing. And I know you just spoke to dads out there that are relegated to possibly every other weekend or you have abbreviated custody or you might live long distance from your children. You kind of feel like you need to squeeze it all in at one time. Tony, what do you do to avoid that? Do you do you think, okay, hey, listen, I got to kind of buy the kids some shoes every time I see them because their feet have grown since last time I saw them. Um, I got to take them out and entertain them. I don't want them to be bored. I want to create memories. How do you speak to combating the feelings that you need to be? There's a term for it. It's called Disney dad. How do you avoid Disney dadding and just relish in the moment of doing nothing with the kids? Um, I avoid it by just trying to acknowledge the truth because yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I think many of us are because 
those are the things that we associate with memories. You know, those are the things that we take pictures of. You know, you can you can refer back to it. Hey, remember when we went here? You know, I don't think that many of us take pictures sitting around the house. But I can recall even as a kid myself, uh, many of the valuable lessons or impactful moments just came from, you know, time spent watching TV with my parents. So I think once we acknowledge the value in those moments, we're able to become more uh, present and, and becoming present. You know, you can have conversations with the kids. I think that a lot of times those act those activities that we do, um, they create memories, but you know, those memories are, are captured through the photos. I think that a lot of the conversations, I can remember some of the times that we had uh, recently, we were and you kind of like you said, we're just sitting around watching it and we talk, you know, we talked about experiences at school. Um, the kids, they talk about experiences on the playground and, and some of the other feelings that they had and their reactions to things in social media. So those experiences or those conversations are, are, are extremely precious because they allow you to, to see how your kids think, how they interact with the world, how the world interacts with them. And it gives you a better perspective of who they are and, and some of their tendencies. I think that, you know, once we acknowledge the value in that, we can see that it's not really all about, you know, riding go-karts and things like that. Although those do put smiles on your faces, it is those conversations that really leads to the understanding of who those kids are. Okay, very good. So, serious. This this question might make you think, and if you have to pause, it's okay. I hope you don't, though. So, a lot of my clients, and I'm not ex exclusively speaking to you or your experience, but a lot of my clients, they do have children's mothers that are high-conflict women. Meaning, I, I, you know, I don't have to define that. Y'all know what the heck I'm talking about. And so, I have noticed a trend where they'll have two kids let's just say they have two kids with the high conflict mom their ex or the person that their co-parents are trying to co-parent with and then they'll go off and get in a new relationship and then they'll have a new kid and then they have a new child and it's different this child represents they don't represent strife or struggle they're not scarred by this trauma that comes along with a child experiencing divorce you know it's, it's kind of like Man, it's a fresh and brand new thing. I see these dads being excited. So my question for you is, do you think children that have a mother that is high conflict and makes a dad's life hell, do you think those children are harder to love? I wouldn't say that they're harder to love. I don't think I need to take time to think about that. Um, I feel that we can understand the difference. I think the kid and the parent understands the difference because the relationship that you have with your kid, that's, that's unique. That's, that's a personal and, um, that's a personal relationship. And so without all of the other external influences, you know, high conflict parents or high conflict uh, mothers, you know, we still have an ability to connect and to have meaningful connections. So, Whenever the influence of a high conflict parent starts to come in, I think there is a mutual understanding, whether it's spoken or not, that, hey, this is just how you know, a certain person is. And while we deal with it, we won't allow it to impact the connection that we have. You know, I can see how it will be more natural, more 
comfortable to have interactions with a bio child who doesn't have that, you know, maybe an us or ours baby. I can see how those things would conceivably be more comfortable and more natural. But when the, you know, when, when, when a kid is the child of a high conflict person, I don't think that they intentionally now, you know, under certain circumstances, depending on the nature of the alienation, you know, there could be some influences where it does, you know, but that hasn't been my experience. You know, I don't think that, uh, either of us, neither myself or my kids are impacted long-term or really significantly by any antics that are, you know, done against us. I don't know if I agree with that just because the antics do represent extreme trauma. I have seen personally heard, witnessed some things that I never experienced in my own childhood, you know, and I, I don't, I think it's naive of you to say, Oh, we're not affected by it. When hell I've been affected by it. I had to see a freaking shrink to talk about some of the things that have happened. And I have an extremely high level of emotional intelligence. And when we're talking about children whose brains are not even finished being formed yet, and they are in the thick of their formidable years, I do not agree with your statement. But as a father, I feel like you maybe have to say that, you know, like maybe you have to say it. So I remember when, me and you first started dating, you would always talk about your oldest child. Always, always. She was the apple of your eye. I mean, she just was the sweetest little thing. And she's such a cute little chocolate drop. I mean, cutest, cute little thing. And um, she's 17 years old now. She was eight years old, eight or nine when I came into the picture. She's 17 years old now. And so she's experienced a lot, a lot more. I, I feel like she had to go through her parents divorce with them because she was made privy to a whole lot of stuff that she had no business knowing. I mean, emails and financial documents and photos and, um, things that were completely untrue. And so I know that you would still, you hated to see those types of things happening to her. You hated to see her being taken through, um, such harm, when it was your job as dad to protect and provide for her. I know how you saw yourself. I know the type of father you were when you had uninterrupted access to your children. I also do know that you've had to redefine what parenting these particular children means. So can you talk about why you redefined and what that process of redefining what parenting these particular children mean to you? So the redefinition became necessary um, as a way for us to proceed forward. Um, one of the things that I used to mention to them and kind of quote to them was the serenity prayer. You know, it says, you know, we wanted to have the power to accept the things we can't change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So what we were faced with was a situation where we had, I guess, multiple possibilities, but two main ones to me. We could either be at the mercy of someone who was potentially unhappy and set on interfering and, and, and influencing the relationship between the father and kids, or we could step back and redefine that and then 
establish a reality inside of the madness that was separate and unique to each one of us. So what I mean by that, when you say that there are um, influences that are happening and the kids are affected or that kids can't help, I, I would agree with that to a certain extent. But because through effort and focused attention, we've now redefined those experiences as some that don't separate us. They don't um, cause us the type of stress or strife that they used to, but we can see that that's another device that is something that we have to overcome. And in overcoming together, it builds unity, it builds strength, and it builds a bond that, you know, it's, it's kind of like taking, you know, taking that energy and using it as something to build from. And we've, we've learned to do that. You know, I think that a lot of the uh, strides that we've made, but you know, my kids and I, we've done so in a, in a, almost an unspoken way because through certain experiences that we have, we can kind of look or we can talk or connect and actually get better, get stronger, you know, feel a, a more uh, connected type of uh, love, if that makes sense. I don't know. But I, 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 I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I do think that those things have the potential. But because I became aware of that many years ago, I wanted to make it away because, again, serenity prayer, that's one of the things that I can't change. I can't influence, you know, someone's decision to dislike or to interfere with my relationship. So I have to find a way around it. And this is the way I found. I just redefined it to the kids and we all agreed upon it. Redefining also means redefining your expectations. You don't expect to be the key, the only male influence in your child, children's lives. You don't expect them to not be impacted by certain people, places, and things that you don't even know about. I mean, that's that's kind of one of the things that happens even when you're an active parent in the same household with your kids. You know, you're not in the know of everything, but I feel like when you're separated from them, there's even more space that can come and happen between them. You know, like you're not knowing how school was today because you, it's one thing when you call them on the phone, hey, how was school? Oh, it's fine, dad. But then when you're picking them up, seeing them being distraught, you know, sitting with them, hearing, watching their face and then pro pro prodding them. And I think it's different. So I think also just redefining the expectations. Do you think that, is redefinition painful? I wouldn't call it painful. Uh, it, it can be painful, you know, to, 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 I guess, to address what you said in the beginning, whenever you have to contemplate the, the, the fact or the possibility that there may be another man or another group of people influencing my kids, you have to be real with yourself and, and, and deal with that possibility. If your reaction to that is one where you can't handle it, then, you know, it probably won't be a good idea for you to enter into a co-parenting situation. And you may want to look at other solutions to resolve your relationship. But, you know, after I had an, a confrontation with that possible reality, I realized that, you know, even as their father or there will still be other influences. Society, you know, you have social media, you have people at school. So the importance of being the sole influence from a father perspective, while it is important, it, it, it's not it's not the thing that's going to define how they turn out. So because we realize that, then that doesn't take away from 
our ability to influence them in a co-parenting situation or even to lead them or to guide or instruct them. So I think, yeah, part of the redefinition process does involve you kind of wanting to be, I guess, intentional about what you're telling them. And, you know, it's not really something that you have to do as a, as a, as a thing to offset anything else that they may be getting, you know, I don't think it, there's anything wrong with multiple sets of information. So then you don't have to be intentional about, Hey, don't, Hey, whatever he said, just ignore that part and do this. I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's necessary. I think that all the information that I can give and I can provide can, you know, it, it can kind of go through their mental sifting machine and they can say, okay, well, what dad's talking about is useful. You know, I can, this is impacting me in real life. You know, I don't just give them chores or give them, I, I challenge them to think. And then I challenge them, uh, to come up with their own decisions and come up with their own ideas, come up with their own solutions. So when you are helping the person to, to, to navigate the, the, the process of life, I think that they gravitate towards that more and they more, they more so ask you for your input. And that's really ultimately what my goal has been as a father. And, you know, I, I do want to raise kids, but part of raising kids is allowing them to, to learn who they are so that once they are into the world, even at school or in college or even into adulthood, you will have productive human beings who know how to think and learn on their own. How do you recommend reconnecting after drama and by drama i mean there's a lot of people that i've spoken to whose children especially if you're the targeted parent that means your kid knows some crappy stuff about you or they've been told lies about you or they've had their head filled with you know they probably even have been made to fear you so it, I think it, it feels kind of awkward. You know how a tornado will sweep through your city and then you'll come back to your house after having to evacuate and you're trying to just pick stuff up and salvage something. So I see that co-parent that creates drama as a tornado. And when it's when you actually do get time with your child again, you I feel like you have to pick up and just salvage something that's left over. So what are some good ways to reconnect after the co-parent creates like a traumatic thing in, in between father and parent and, and child. So there's power in truth. Um, and what I mean by that, just me, for example, I'm somebody's uh, son. And I know I used to uh, have this, I played basketball, right? So I used to have this um, thing whenever I'm on the, on the court and in the game, and, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people in the stands and everybody's screaming. I could pick out out of that, all of that noise. I could tell my mom's voice. I could tell my dad's voice. And the reason why was because of that connection. Um, so I would liken that into, I wouldn't necessarily call it a tornado, but in all of the madness, you know, you can hear that. And the truth was that the vibrations from their voice record resonated with my spirit. So with 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 that with kids who've been through traumatic experiences and they're now kind of i wouldn't say separated but there's some sort of um divide or something that they feel that's not natural then i guess the first thing to do would be to just remind them of truth you know you want to allow them a warm place to unpack their feelings um and so if 
if there has been something that's happened in a traumatic way, they're going to have feelings about it. They'll probably have questions about it. So I personally, in those situations, I've invited those. Hey, you know, talk to me about how you feel. You know, what kind of questions do you want to ask me? Is there anything that you want to tell me? And in doing that, you will allow them to tell you the things that they need in order to get better. You know, I think so many times we feel the responsibility to come over and clear up the air or let me explain something to you. When in fact, the kids, you know, they have a reaction to what's done with them and they don't have an outlet many times for their reaction. So if you become receptive to what they have to say, then in listening, you will learn what they need. And that's what I've done. That's what's helped me to succeed and kind of close the gaps. Anytime there's been an uprising, you know. Whenever I'm reconnected with them, I talk, I sit there and I listen, you know, I take them to a, to a neutral place and allow them to, you know, with no pressure, you know, just allow them to talk and allow them to say to me what they need to say. And when I listen, I can see every piece of information or everything that's been said that's been untrue. And with that, you know, with that arm, with that knowledge, it gives you a better platform from which you can respond and then to say meaningful things that, that literally obliterate the lies and i don't think that we have the the responsibility to undo everything that's been said or unthink, undo everything that's been done but what we do have is a privilege where we can provide them new information and give them different sets of experiences that'll offset the lies you know one thing all of us can do as humans is we can recognize truth well most healthy productive people can recognize truth and i think that kids are some of the best individuals at this they can recognize truth so whenever you tell them that and they have other information that's comparing it then they can probably figure out the difference and in doing so you know you'll clear it up so what you're saying is it is your responsibility to provide them with an alternative truth to the one that they've been told your version of the experience your version of the truth which is probably going to be the truth but you know, I think a parent that's dead set on being on, on lying to a child, they're going to they're going to be kind of convincing. You know what I mean? So what you're saying is you still are responsible for giving your your child yet another resource, yet another access point so that they can make their own decisions. OK, so my next question is switching gears a little bit. So there's a high conflict biological mother in the picture, right? Let's just say that's a scenario. And a father starts to notice his son or daughter taking on her temperament. They start to repeat the things that she says. Hey, dad, I know you don't pay child support. Dad, I know you don't love me as much as you love your new baby. You left us, dad. Like you literally start to see this child not only repeat the musings of the high conflict mother, but then they also take on her tone and her temperament. They're starting to act like her. They have her disposition. What the heck do you do? Well, I think you challenge the origination of those thoughts. You know, you ask just as, again, you ask questions. One of the things that my kids um, tease me about or, you know, they bring up is that, that you ask a lot of questions. And the reason why is because I want to get to the source of any of those thoughts, any of those statements. I want to get to the source of it. You know, if, 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 if ever somebody tells me that I don't pay child support, I want to ask who told you that? Or if ever anybody asks me anything, if, anything that I know isn't true. My reaction isn't to dispel it or to try to tell the truth. I want to kind of get to the reason of it. So what I'm doing in that is I'm allowing them the tools or trying to show them, introduce to them the tools again to recognize truth. So if anybody says stuff like that or anything, 
and then I hear it repeated to me or even in certain behaviors, you know, hey, why did you react that way? And if the if, if the reaction, if the source of the reaction ultimately comes from an unhealed parent, then ultimately we'll, we'll get there, you know, through conversation and through, I guess, talking about the experience, we'll get there. But I think the most important thing for us to do is not to try to, uh, I guess, replace it, but we want to challenge it so that we can figure it out and resolve it that way through understanding. By challenging, I, f I honestly feel like one of the best ways, and I'm using child support as an example since we already mentioned it, but you know, if your kid comes to you and says, you haven't paid child support and my mom does everything and you know damn well you pay child support. In fact, mom is probably unemployed or underemployed and she survives from that. I do feel like a father in that position, if your kid is saying that and you're trying to preserve their innocence and you don't want them to be involved in adult affairs and talk about money, you shouldn't have had kids with the woman that you did because she's telling your child all this stuff. So she's already stolen their innocence. I do feel like a dad should come in and show a child proof, age-appropriate proof. Now, if you have a 15-year-old that's coming to you, you know, saying, you don't pay my mom, I do kind of feel like you should offer them age-appropriate proof because one of the worst things that I've seen in some of my own clients that were were that grew up in blended families is they didn't learn the truth about their dads until they were in their 30s and 40s so they grew up knowing in their own minds their own personal truth was dad didn't pay child support dad didn't love them dad didn't want to be near them when the fact of the matter is dad surely loved them dad went to court and fought for them dad paid an abundance of child support dad only was not able to reach them because their mother blocked that. These kids grew up feeling unloved, so in essence, they became that. It, 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 you know, so I, I, what type of, based on, let's just say you had an eight-year-old, and I kind of want you to do it for each age group. You know, if, if you're eight-year-old, you're 12-year-old, and you're 16-year-old, come to you and say that. Eight, 12, and 16. If they come to you saying that, what is... What is a response? And I know I'm putting you on the spot with that question, but I feel like you can answer it. So, I, first. Uh, well, so I think my response to the kids will be the same regardless of age, because one of the things that I think that we have to realize here and acknowledge is that any child who's given this type of information is in a situation where um, they have a parent who's not really concerned about their best interests, you know? So, just think about that. If 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 I'm put in the position to defend to a 15, or let's say if I'm put in the position to defend to an eight-year-old that I have not paid child support, and the only proof that I would have for that would be a receipt from the attorney general, maybe. And so, what would an eight-year-old do with a receipt? You know, if I'm thinking about that. You know, what are they going to say? You know, they probably number one couldn't interpret it too well and then that interpretation really won't lead to an understanding so for me that whole scenario would give me the more of a responsibility to help them again to help them to understand the truth you know do you understand what child support is right do you understand what child support is intended to do right okay so do you have clothes and then at that point, maybe it would be, I guess, relevant to provide proof. But 
I think that it's more important for the kid to understand the purpose of child support and what it's intended to do. And because they have all those things that a child support is intended to do, you have shoes, you have a place to stay, you have clothes, you have these things. So all of those things are, anytime you see any of those things, that's proof that dad is paying child support. So I think with that information, it'll give them more of a foundation where they can think and figure those things out on their own. Okay. So you said your response would kind of be the same for the eight year old versus the, let's just say 15, 16 year old. Do you feel like you can show the 15 or 16 year old an actual receipt and say, Hey, this is the amount of cash that I give the person that you reside with sometimes. Is that more appropriate? Cause I can see what you're saying. Like eight year old, they don't even know the value of a dollar. They're just repeating some stuff. But by the time they're 16, 17, life is kind of, hit him on the wackadoo a time or two. And so do you think that it would be more appropriate like to show them actual proof? Absolutely. Yeah, you would show them the proof and then have a conversation about it, you know. So that proof, again, will start to tear down walls through truth. So we're talking about teenagers, and let's lead into talking about teens. Let's Teens or teenage years are hard. The amygdala, which is a part of our brains that literally regulates emotion, helps us to decipher between good and bad consequences, show empathy. That part of our brain is going through some changes and it's shrinking. And teenagers aren't really able to do that, which is why they kind of come off a little asshole-ish sometimes. Not all teenagers. Well, no, yeah, all of them. But how do you, when you, your child enters those teenage years and you are in a blended family, meaning you are not with them every single day, you're not able to impact them, you're not able to issue uh, maybe certain types of discipline, or you have a co-parent that's undermining you your ability to parent this child, how do you... How do you react? How do you treat? How are you supposed to be with a teenager that is completely starting to be disrespectful, showing disinterest in talking to you? I don't like you, dad. I hate you, dad. I hate my stepmom. Like, how in the hell are you supposed to be with that? Um, I can honestly say that I don't know because I haven't experienced to that degree any of those things. But what I have experienced, uh, slight signs of disinterest uh you have to kind of take it back to the beginning and maybe try to remember characteristics of the kid's personality and try to see if you can fast forward that considering all the influences that they may have now considering all the experiences that they may have now you can try to predict what they would react and how they would react and using that potential reaction you can then try to put in solutions that they may be um, more receptive to. So I never really intended to be a, a have this like an authoritarian um, military type figure. You know, I always try to lead with love and understanding. So if faced with that type of situation, you know, I don't want to press anybody. You know, I'm going to offer... Uh, my opinion i'm going to offer my requests and if that's not something that a kid is able to honor then we're going to talk about why but i don't think that we a lot of my approaches and you know this many of my approaches it involves me 
separating, disconnecting from any influencer from the parent. I have to do this separate from any of those other ones. I don't, I can't do anything in tandem because it, it'll, it'll, it'll muddy it up. You know, I like showing them another pretty picture and it only a picture that only I can influence. Okay. Oh, I have a really specific question and I don't think my client would mind me asking this, but his, he, you know, he has two sons. One's a teenager and one is a little bit younger. And, you know, you guys out there listening also, you know how these younger kids are a little bit more loving, they're easier, but then the teens, especially the teens that have a mother that's high conflict, that means their their minds are already convoluted with an opposing side of the story. Dad has been made to look like the, the bad guy. They've probably, be, especially if they're boys, they've been made to become this surrogate husband. You know, your dad's gone, you're the man of the house. So they're probably starting to develop, develop a little bit of resent for dad because you left these, you left me to, to do your job. You, you escaped from this crazy woman, but I'm still here. So let's just say now, again, I know this isn't your scenario, but this is advice for one of my clients. So this is, that's kind of his situation. And he texts his son. His son has refused to come on any of the visits, the teenager. So it's just been whenever he goes to pick up the younger one, you know, he'll have a great weekend, take him back home. But this son, he still is trying to stay connected to this young man. And the young man is getting more and more and more distant and disrespectful and disinterested. He's already expressed the fact that he does not want to be around his stepmother and their new little, they had another son. He had a new son, my client with his um, new wife. He's like, I don't want to be around them. And I barely don't want to be around you. He had a, a big birthday party. He was like, I definitely don't want either one of them there. Dad, you can come, but she can't. I don't want my stepmom there. You know, he's really putting some dividing lines in what he wants. And he's trying to, I guess, set boundaries in his own way. So my client texted his son the other day, you know, just to kind of test the waters to see, you know, hey, I'm, I know I'm going to pick up his younger brother. Let me see if he wants to come this time. So he kept texted him. He was like, hey, son, how's it going? And his son's reply was, uh, wait, what did he say? He was like, um, hey, son. And the son's reply was, what? And my client is, you know, I was just like, you guys know, those of you that have had sessions with me, y'all know it's hard for me to hide my facial expressions um, and remain indifferent or apathetic when I hear stuff like that. But what would you recommend if you you were talking to your teenager and you're like, hey, son, and their response is what? What the hell are you supposed to text back or say or do? <laughs> I know, right? That's heavy. All right. So, well, I think you know, and again, you asked me, so I'm more inclined to allow people because with the scenario you talked about, you got three people, right? Well, maybe four. You have a father, a wife, a bio son and a bio son. So there are four individuals there. And probably the fifth variable was probably the bio mom who's caused a lot of the conflict. Um, I think that my approach has always been to acknowledge that you have individuals here and give them the ability to make decisions on their own. And if... If, if you have a teenage son, let's just let's just be I'll answer your specific question. If you have a teenage son who through his experiences, through 
childhood, adolescence, you know, there's a lot of variables here that I don't know. You know, how long were they divorced or how long were they married? How old was this kid whenever they got a divorce? Because all of those could bring about other feelings, you know, residual feelings that he may have towards his father uh, who may be looked upon subconsciously as a person who escaped you know, you, you got out of here and now you left me here by myself with this. And, you know, I resent you for that. And so they, he may be dealing with feelings of resentment, not necessarily because he doesn't like his father, but because he envies the freedom that his father may have. So, you know, from that perspective, you have to allow him room to figure those things out. I don't think that you certainly don't abandon him, but when, 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 whenever, you know, you get a response like that, you may want to know why, you know, so, Hey, you know, what does that mean? Why did you send me that? And, you know, those things allow a person. Now, his, he, he may not be able to offer a response. And in situations like that, when you don't get a response, me personally, I'm more encouraged by that because it proves to me that those aren't original thoughts. It proves to me that somebody's just repeating something that they've been trained to say or think. And when they can't answer the reasons as to why, then that gives me an opportunity to then replace that with, hey, this is what I think. This is what I would do if I were you. This is what I would like for you to respond to me. You know, we can give them ways to respond to us. We can give them ways in which to interact with us because now as they get older, I think that um, the the training that they've been given from their conflicting or their turbulent bio parent starts to take less and less uh, power. You know, it starts to make less and less sense, if that makes sense. So, you know, it used to be, you can tell an eight-year-old, your dad's this, your dad's this, and blah, 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 and they would just take that as the gospel. But as they get older, you know, and the narrative doesn't change, but they're starting to see, like, my dad looks pretty cool, but, you know, mom says that he's not. So at that point, there's no cause behind their actions. And so by questioning those actions, you know, maybe why don't you want to come? That causes a kid, I don't think initially just because they don't have the experiences, many of them don't have the, you know, the mental faculties to think those things through. So they'll just say things like what? Uh, they don't have the faculty to say, Dad, you know, today I'm feeling, you know, stressed and, you know, I'm really kind of lonely and I'm wondering why you aren't here. But whatever. There's, they don't know how to express those things. So I don't think that we have the responsibility to take those personally, you know, although that's probably the initial reaction because we're human. But I think you just probably want to allow them room to, number one, think it through. And if that means taking some distance, give them some distance. But, you know, you want to help them, give them the faculties, at least put some stuff into their head to think, hey, you know, I would have liked for you to have said this, son. Or, you know what? You can also say that whenever you get a response like that, hey, you know, reading this made me feel this way. As your father, I would have liked for you to have said this. Or as your father, for you to say this to me makes me feel this way. And I think when you acknowledge to these children that they do have a responsibility for their feelings and their interactions towards you, that not only gives them more accountability for their actions, but that gives them the responsibility to grow up and then be intentional about what they say. You know, kids think that parents are know-it-alls and that, that we always have the answers that we're in the stroke, but they don't know that some of the things that they do and say can hurt us. So by sharing that information with them, it gives them more response because our kids aren't ultimately bad people. They don't want to hurt you. But if you don't let them know that those things hurt you, then they don't have anything to, to, to fear in their interactions with you. So I would just be honest and just say, Hey, you know, I didn't like the way this made me feel, man. This, let's talk about this. Why do you say that?
Damn. Yo, you you might need to get your own podcast, bro. Damn. Hey, hey, that was cold. Oh, my God. Y'all know that we've gone so far over time. I typically hold you guys for 30 minutes. We've been on this thing for a minute. For We've gone over now. So I'm going to have to cut this episode short. If you want to hear more from Tony, from my amazing husband, then please, please, please just send me a note. Send me a DM. Um, if you want me to ask Tony something, maybe we'll even do an Ask Tony Day on Instagram, Facebook, and in my private community. So shout out to everybody that's still sticking around. For everybody that's supported this podcast and been a faithful listener and supported me all these years. It's been a couple of years now we've been doing this podcast. I thank you so much. I love you. I hope that you were inspired and you learned something today. I will see you Every other Tuesday on your favorite streaming platform, this has been another episode of I Know I'm Crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy.